When you walk from the Old to the New Testament, you have to every once in a while step back and say, God, I'm absolutely amazed at the people you choose to use to further your gospel and to change the kingdom. I mean, would you have chosen a 90-year-old fatherless man to be the father of nations? Or a guy who felt like he couldn't communicate well to be the leader of the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land? Would you have chosen a 16-year-old virgin to be the mother of Christ? Would you have chosen Peter, who didn't know sometimes what to say or the right thing to say at the right moment, to be one of the greatest communicators of the gospel of Christ, and a guy who murdered Christians to be the leader of the greatest evangelical movement in the history of the world? And that is the Apostle Paul. I'm fascinated throughout history and when I read scripture of the people that God chooses to use to carry out his plan. People that you and I may have not seen that potential or seen what they're able to offer, but God sees beyond that and uses them in amazing ways. Beethoven's music teacher said as a composer, he was hopeless. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because he wasn't creative enough and couldn't come up with enough good ideas. A young man was sent off to boarding school. His parents didn't want to have anything to do with him. Father didn't really like him. The headmaster punished him on a number of occasions. Shared that with his dad. Didn't seem to have any interest at all. Father didn't think he would really amount to anything. Wasn't smart enough to be a lawyer. Wasn't cut out to be a clergyman. Said the only hope for this man is he entered the army. And so he barely got in. Invited his father to every function he ever had, hardly ever showed up. Through a near-death experience, he really felt like God had his hand on him, and there was something specific about what he was called to do. And he eventually did it. His name was Winston Churchill. Last Sunday morning, we began a series in the book of Daniel, and we're going to be there for the next three Sundays alone. So four weeks only in one of the most amazing books in the Old Testament— And one of the most incredible characters, one that you and I may have not seen or one you and I may have not chosen, that God certainly had his hand on, taking him to an unbelievable environment and using him in powerful ways in one of the most incredible kingdoms in the history of that particular time in that era. Daniel was a perfect example of what Jesus told us to be, and that was salt and light in a dark world. Let them see who you are. Let them see what I offer. Reveal to them who I am. Let them see it in your life. Let them see it in your love. Let them see it in the way you communicate. And the way you stand strong in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, even in a world that doesn't believe what you believe. Daniel and his friends ended up being removed from their religious family, thrown into a totally pagan culture, and amazingly enough, survived and thrived in the middle of that environment. In Daniel's case, he was faithful even when no one else was looking over his shoulder. I don't know if you have found this true, but many times it's easy to be a Christian around other Christians. The issue is, are we just as solid? Does our stands just as secure? Does our faith obviously come out when no one's watching over our shoulder? When we're not surrounded by other believers? When we're in an environment that doesn't even embrace our values? And doesn't really want us to share those values. Three things that we noticed out of Daniel last week that I wanted to share with you this morning. Pick up where we left off. 
and spend some time over the next few weeks unpacking some incredible things that God wants to teach us in this section. The first thing we looked at last week was Nebuchadnezzar's plan, and that is to take the brightest and the youngest, remove them from the influence of family and religion, and indoctrinate them into the culture. Still the plan. Get the young, as young as possible, and do everything we possibly can to infiltrate and indoctrinate their mind into the ways of the world so that when they get older, they'll forget all about all the religious things they've learned and turn into all that things that the world offers them. One of the reasons that I said last Sunday morning we invest so much time and energy in children and youth ministries. To be able to do everything we possibly can to get them to stand strong in a world that's not going to embrace their values. And not going to teach them the things that we know is true. And so we put time and effort and people and energy into being able to help them remain solid and stable in a world that's not going to embrace their values. In a world that's not going to allow them to stand strong and firm in who they are. The second thing we noticed last Sunday morning was Daniel's response to that, as we'll share in a moment. And finally, in the middle of all of that was God's plan. The book of Jeremiah speaks to this very issue in this very time in the history of the Israelites. You don't have to turn there this morning, but if you look later on today at Jeremiah 28, you'll see that some false prophets had arisen and told the people that God wanted them to stay separate from all the people in Babylon have nothing to do with our culture, actually pray against the city. The plan was to isolate and separate, not have anything to do with them, not have any influence on them. The problem was that's not what God wanted them to do. And the prophets that were speaking in Jeremiah 28 weren't speaking for God. One of the things that I always encourage you to do as a part of the family of God here and anytime you're visiting another church to make sure that you clearly understand that what's being shared in that context lines up with the word of God. Believe it or not, there are a lot of false teachers out there who are not necessarily teaching their shades of teaching and shades of truth in it, but not necessarily foundations centered on the word of God. And one of the things I encourage people to when they're relocating to another place or trying to find another church is to make sure that church is well-grounded in the Word of God. Make sure that you check everything I say against the Word of God. One of the things that you'll see in that particular context is that they weren't speaking for God. Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, still in Judah, heard about what was being said and sent a letter to them speaking for God. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those that I carried from exile to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat the produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters. Seek peace and prosperity in the city. Pray for the city. Pray to the Lord for it. This is what the Lord God Almighty says. Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams. They're prophesying lies in my name. I haven't sent them. This is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed, I'll come and fulfill that good promise that I have and take you back to where you want to go. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me when you find, and find me when you seek me with all, their, all your heart. God says, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I have placed you in that environment. As much as you may not understand it, as much as you may not like it, as much as you may not like where you are, I know what I'm doing. I've placed you in that environment to have an influence. 
God says, don't separate and isolate. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to see the larger picture. I want you to engage the culture. You're there by design to influence the world around you. Never lose your identity. Never know, under, misunderstand who you are and who you belong to. Don't assimilate, but don't separate. You're there in that culture. Thrive. Get involved. Make a difference. I don't want you to be in the world around you and remain in your spiritual fortress and look around and say, what a wicked world it is out there. I want you to engage the culture. I want you to love the people in it. I want you to love the people around you. I want you to pray for them. I want you to get involved. Be a positive influence. Remain a believer in the God of creation, a follower of the Christ of Scripture. And wrestle with the question, how can I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, Still remain solid in him and influence those around me who believe the opposite. My hope is that all of us have wrestled through that question at some point or the other. How can I, as a follower of Christ, a believer in the God of creation, the Lord of Scripture, one is obedient to what it is he teaches me, how can I, in the midst of an environment that doesn't embrace that, doesn't believe it, many times doesn't tolerate it, how can I remain solid in my faith in Christ, take a stand when I need to, but do it with love and grace and show Jesus everywhere I go? Now, some would say, well, if you give me a list of rules to follow, I'd know what to do and not what to do. But it doesn't always work that way. Christianity has the fewest rules of any religion. Now, churches and Christians have a lot of rules, but God didn't. If you were to insist on a set of rules for all situations that everyone has to follow, then you could become a separatist instead of doing the hard work of seeking the heart of God for what it is he wants me to do, who it is he wants me to be in the place that he has placed me to be a part of. number of things that these guys did. I want to give you a few this morning. The first thing you'll notice about these four gentlemen, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the context of the book of Daniel, is that they remained true to their convictions. They decided right away what was important. What were their values? Key verses I pointed out last Sunday morning is in verse 8. Here's a guy in a strange land with all kinds of temptations around him who made up his mind what he was going to do and not do. The bottom line is, it's a choice. You can either let your environment pull you into its trap or be able to be confident in what you know is true, what my stands are, what I won't bend on, what I'll stand solid on. Those worked out Bible-based pillars that become the foundation of your life. Decisions that you've made about the issues of life. Things I'm not going to watch, things I'm not going to listen to, things I'm not going to pass along, environments that I'm not going to place myself in. To be sure and absolutely convinced what it is that God wants me to do and be in an environment that doesn't always embrace what I believe. And you'll have to be able to be sure of what they are before you face the tough issues of life. Convictions become the anchors of your life so when the storms of life blow, you won't get blown in every direction. That's why you simply can't go along with the crowd because the crowd blows in different directions every week. These guys were also committed to their faith in Christ. Not only did they have convictions that they weren't willing to bend on, they were committed to their faith in God. Committed to God no matter what, to stand firm in the issues of life, to stay solid in their relationship with him, regardless of what it was going to cost them. 
Yesterday on Phone Tree, I asked you to read chapter 1, 2, and 3 and get into 6 a little bit. As you look at the foundation of this section of Scripture, it's one of the most familiar pieces in chapter 3 when the king builds a 90-foot statue to himself and asks everyone when they hear the music play to bow down before him. Otherwise, it would cost them their life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow. Their commitment to God was deeper than the cost of their own lives. You see it all played out in chapter 3. What I love about these guys and Daniel is their attitudes in displaying it. They simply shared, I get what you're asking us to do, but I need you to know we have a deeper commitment to that. And we will not bow down before your idol. We will remain true to God, knowing that it could cost us our lives, but we're willing to do that because even if God doesn't rescue us, which we believe he will, we cannot do that. We cannot bow to our, another God and forsake our principles. What fascinates me and Daniel is their attitude in doing that. Now, again, I could be over-reading Scripture, and you can take me to task if you want. You can read it yourself and begin to draw some conclusions. But I think there was some grace and some compassion in their understanding of who they were and their willingness to take that stand knowing that it could cost them everything. I don't see them picketing. I don't see them screaming. I don't see them being negative or anti-Christ in the middle of taking those stands. They just simply stood firm in the midst of their commitment to God. I have found that 90% of the time, the best way to defend the truth about Jesus is to live it out. One of the best ways to defend the truth about who you are in Christ is to live it out. To be in the word of God, to fall head over heels in love with Jesus. To every day ask him, Father, what do you want me to do today? God, you know who I'm going to face? You know what I'm going to face. You know what I'm going to be called to do. You know what I'm going to be asked to do. How do you want me to live out your truth? How do you want me to live out my values in a world that doesn't always embrace that? How can I be an influence? How can I show your love today? And every day, begin the day and walk through your day in a very unusual environment that you might find yourself, saying, God, how can I best live out my values in you? How can I best live out my faith in you? How can I best display your love? How can I best reveal your truth? How can I best show them the commitment that I have to you in a way that shows love and tenderness and grace, but solid in my stand for you? The other thing I love about these guys is just their practical common sense. In chapter 1, when the king wanted Daniel to eat the food and drink the wine in Babylon, Daniel knew it was against his convictions, and he just simply laid out a test. Test us for 10 days and see if we do this and not do what he's asking us to do, that we're not any worse off than what we've done before. Instead of rebelling against the order, use good judgment and common sense. There aren't always black and white answers for things that we are finding ourselves wrestling with. God expects us to use discernment and the wisdom that he has given us, our ability to make good choices in life. There's a great book called Emotional Intelligence, written by Dan Coleman. He counters a popular idea that IQ is the best indicator of how a person will be able to be successful in life. Concluded that IQ has no guarantee of prosperity, prestige, or happiness. A study of a lot of college graduates around the world found out that only 20% of IQ is a factor that determines life success, 
The 80% is left up to wisdom and understanding of how to use what you've been given. We found out that IQ was no guarantee for good salaries, productivity, or status, or happiness in relationships. Basically, it came across the truth. It's been in the Word of God for centuries. Use the wisdom that God has given you. Understand the skills that he's entrusted into your hand. Use that divinely given ability and the insights that you see from the word of God because you've spent time in the word of God to understand how to utilize all that he's entrusted into your care and utilize the gifts you have in an environment that doesn't always embrace that. The thing that you obviously also notice in this context is that not only were they true to their commitment and solid in their convictions, but they were really guided by prayer. In every situation Daniel found himself in, knowing that it could cost him everything, you see him over and over and over again seeking God's direction in prayer. Chapter 2 and 6, when Daniel's life is on the line, he found his answer from God. In chapter 6, when you see him there in that context of knowing that he's going to be thrown in a lion's den, you see him faithfully praying three times a day seeking God's direction, relying on the strength that only God can give. If you read the first few chapters of Daniel, you'll notice a profound impact that he had on the king. And in every situation, in every circumstance, you find him every single moment seeking God's direction in prayer. Knowing that without that insight that God's going to give him, he couldn't stand strong in the midst of the context in which God has placed him. You and I, over and over again, are asked to stand firm. Stand strong to our convictions in a world that doesn't embrace it and not going to get any better. To many times go against the current, knowing that if we don't, we could be out drifting and never return. Years ago, my brother had a great idea. Let's take our motorcycles, put them in the back of a pickup truck, and our wives, and go to Daytona Beach. At that time, I was young and stupid. Now I'm old and stupid. Thought it was a great idea. He had a one-seater that many did in those particular contexts. Put two motorcycles in the back. Had all the suitcases in his um, toolbox, which meant that the tailgate had to be laid down. And we tied him in as tight as we could. We realized that after a while, it was pretty tight for the four of us in the front seat of that pickup truck. So I said to him, I'll just lay in the back between the two motorcycles on a sleeping bag. Don't go too fast. Don't stop too hard. Stopped for a meal in West Virginia at one particular point. Came out. After the evening meal, I got back and sat down in the middle of those two Harleys on two motorcycles on a sleeping bag. Some old guy come out and said, where y'all going? I said, we're going to Daytona Beach. I don't know why in that world I answered that way. He said, you going to sleep there? I said, I sure am. Wife going to be there with you? I said, I hope so. Right on, brother. And we headed down the road. Got into somewhere in Georgia, and it was raining. I mean, raining hard. So I had to get out of there and get in the front seat. Now, this is four of us in the front seat, and we haven't even started our vacation yet, and I couldn't stand any of them by that particular point. (laughs) We get to Florida, and I said, get me out of here. The rain has stopped. And I sat in the back of that toolbox and picked my shirt up so I could get some sun because I hadn't any sun for a while. Got down there, got to the beach, and found out that I was red as a lobster here and white as a lily boy right up here. So the first two days on the beach, I had to put a towel over this part so this could catch up. And I looked like I fit in 
which obviously I didn't at that particular point anyhow. On the second night, I decided to do something that I hadn't done before, and I put my wife on a boogie board, and I said, let's go out into the current and see how far out we can go. We did that for a little while, and all of a sudden, I realized the current was pulling us out further and further and further, and I turned around and looked, and every literal soul had gone off the beach, and there was no one. And as hard as I pushed against the current, it kept pulling us further and further and further out. We both thought we were going to die. Matter of fact, I told her how much I loved her, how much I enjoyed those first two years of marriage, and everything that we'd enjoyed because I thought there's no way we're ever going to return. It is so hard to push against the current. But the price was so costly if I didn't. And so with every fiber of energy that I had in my being, I pushed her as hard as I could, swam as hard as I could beyond that, pushed her again, pushed her some more, swam as hard as I could, and finally got to the shore obviously, and survived. Taught me one of the most valuable lessons in life. If you simply take the current and let it ride and let it go with you, it'll take you in a place you don't want to go. And eventually could take your life. Going against the current is hard work. Wrestling through the issues of life and making some decisions about life and circumstances and situations and stands that I won't bend on in the middle of a world that constantly pushes me the other way is really hard work. But I'm telling you, it is worth it. And the price of letting the current of life and the current of the world and the current of the pressures of life take you in a direction that you don't want to go is costly and could be deadly. We live in a community with those kinds of students and young people and adults making those decisions every day of their life and costing them everything. As followers of Jesus Christ, he's called us to be salt and light to be an influence on the world around us, to take stands, to remain solid, even though the current may be blowing this direction and that direction, doing it with love and grace and tenderness, showing Jesus everywhere we go and every opportunity we have to let the love of Christ so radiate out of us and from us that maybe some people around us will say, what it is, what is it that makes you so different? What is it that makes you so strong and convinced and who you are, and what God called you to be in that environment. Most of you in the room face much more difficult environments than I have and do and ever will, and I totally understand that. What I love is that God gives me men like these to show me what it's like to stand in a world that doesn't embrace my values and my God and remain strong and solid as teenagers to be one of the most influential of the four people in the nation at that time and stand for God. And what I see in this particular book is a need to do that. 2,600 years later, 2015, a need and a a necessity for the people of God to stand strong and firm in a world that doesn't embrace their values, who every single day of their life see God's face and direction to say, God, help me please, to be who you've called me to be in a world that doesn't understand that so that I can show them that the way of Christ is the ultimate way. Anything less than that, it costs you everything. We'll see that even more next week. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a privilege to be a part of the family of God. It's a privilege to be a part of your family, to be called sons and daughters of the living God.
to be called out of darkness and into light, to be the kind of people that display to the world around us who you are and what it's like to have a relationship with you, to be so in love with you that every day of our lives, you just spill out all over the place. For some in this room, it's really hard to do that. And so I pray in the name of Jesus for them as they go to work tomorrow and this week, for the people around them that do not not only not embrace their values, but really make it hard on them to stand strong and firm. And so I trust that you will lead them, give them wisdom and discernment and direction as they seek how to best live it out in the world around them that in many cases you have placed them in very specifically and strategically to be used by you, to be there for people that I and many others will never meet that they can be an influence on and show the love of God in that environment. So bless them and use them, we pray, for your glory and by your power. In the name of Jesus, I pray. God bless you. Have a great day and a great week. If I can pray for you or if we can pray for you in any way, we'd love to do that. See you next Sunday.